You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hey, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. This episode is part two of a conversation I had with Christina Chismar from Focus on the Family. In the first episode, Christina and I talked a little bit about trauma and times when our kids might be triggered and how we can start to identify that. And in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about specific parenting tools and tactics to help our kids get out of a space of feeling very reactive and emotional and into a place where we can really help them start to heal. Christina is a trauma expert and deals often with families who are going through things like divorce and abuse, and she has a great set of wisdom for those of us who are dealing with custody issues that might impact our ability to give our child consistent therapeutic care. Christina and I are going to talk a little bit in this episode about actual tips, routines, rituals, strategies that we can use not only to help our kids when they're feeling a little bit triggered or reactionary, but also ourselves. I think one of the big takeaways for me out of these conversations with Christina was the fact that this is not just limited to our children. These are things that we're experiencing as well as we've gone through various traumas in our own lives and how we can heal that. So we have a great discussion here about how you as a mom can take better care of yourself so that you can be a better parent. And I know I got a ton out of that. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. As we dive into the conversation today, I want to stop and take a second to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling has been such a help for me in understanding myself better and then being able to help my kids. I have video sessions with Judy once a week and it works right through an app. I can schedule a meeting with her or I can chat back and forth with her whenever it's convenient for me and she's able to offer spiritual guidance in our sessions as well. If you'd like to see if Faithful Counseling would be a good fit for you, you can go to getfaithful.com slash single mom and then while you're there you can actually get 10% off of your first month. So make sure you have a look at Faithful Counseling. If you hadn't yet listened to the first episode with Christina, you want to make sure and do that first because that lays so much of the groundwork for this conversation. Otherwise, here's the remainder of my conversation with Christina Chismar from Focus on the Family. So if we can be astute enough, I think a lot of us often will see our child react and then that creates a reactive parent where you're frustrated at them or you start to become harsh towards them or that sort of thing. It sounds like if we have the ability to look at our child and say, oh, this is triggered reactive behavior, you're actually in your downstairs brain. We're not going to be able to have a meaningful conversation right now and stop and kind of shift the environment to create safety that then we have the ability to bring them into that upstairs zone where we can start talking about things in a more logical, rational sort of way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where we start to get into the difference between traditional parenting and therapeutic parenting. And the the traditional parenting, we generally think of, we see the behavior and we identify um, the reward or consequence that's associated with that behavior. And we then try to to educate that behavior so that the child will do it differently. Okay. That's traditional parenting. When we start to transition into therapeutic parenting, we're going to see the behavior. We're going to stop and pause and evaluate. Did this behavior come from the upstairs thinking in control brain? Or did this behavior come from the downstairs out of control brain? And when we see that the behavior came from the downstairs out of control brain, we're going to stop and pause and we're going to parent the brain before the behavior. 
we'll get to the behavior. The behavior is important, but we're going to stop and parent the brain and get the brain to perceive safety so we can get to the upstairs brain. And so this is where, why in therapeutic parenting, we might notice, okay, you're in your downstairs brain. I'm going to stop and pause and I'm going to offer you a cookie or a, or a piece of candy or, or your favorite snack, not because I'm rewarding the tantrum or the behavior, but because now I'm, I'm, um, treating the brain, I'm parenting the brain through the taste sensory to meet that sensory preference that in hopes that it will trigger that downstairs brain to feel and perceive safety well enough so that they can get into their upstairs brain. So if I can get a child to say, yes, I want a cookie. Okay, great. Why don't you come over here and tell me why you're upset and you can have your cookie. So now I've got my child that's starting to calm down. Um, and usually you'll you'll hear that pressurized speech when they're in between the downstairs and upstairs brain that I, I just wanted a cookie and, and, and you were busy. Okay. So we hear that pressurized speech. They're on their way up. And if we wait just a little bit longer, they'll get to the point of, well, I was going to ask you for a cookie, but you were busy with my sister and I knew you would say no. Oh, okay. So now we're, now we have words. So that tells us as parents, oh, you have words. It means that you're in the upstairs brain. Now I can go and I can now parent the behavior Just say, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry that you felt like I was too busy to meet your needs. Can we have a do-over? And this is where it's important to remember that the, the brain develops a new neurotransmitter physically when you get to that physical do-over. So once I'm in the upstairs brain, I go back and have them go back to where they were. I go back to where I was. And this time they're going to use their words to ask me for what they need so that I can meet that need enough for them to feel safe and satisfied. And we're going to get around that attachment cycle. So they're going to say, hey, mom, may I have a cookie? And um, and I'm going to do my best to be able to say yes. That's essentially what therapeutic parenting is. Mm-hmm. And that's getting them into that upstairs brain where the, now the child, the brain's perceiving safety and they're able to retain so much more of what we're communicating with them and they're able to communicate a little bit more clearly. Can you talk about the the ratios? We, we, we talked a little bit previously about just how much that brain is not functioning at the level it needs to <laughs> when they're in that downstairs brain. Yes, that's important to recognize. So, okay. So if information coming into the brain goes into the upstairs brain and they're able to process it immediately, then they generally retain um, around 75 to 100% of that information, okay? If the information coming into the brain is cycled to the downstairs brain, the downstairs brain only keeps the information needed for survival and safety, okay? So this is where it it discards and throws away between 75 to 50% of the original information coming into the brain, which means that by the time that your child, by the time the information gets to the upstairs brain, your child is only working with on average about 25 to 50% of the original information coming into the brain. So this is where you will start to hear your child say, I didn't hear you. You didn't tell me that. Nobody told me. And you're like, dude, I told you 10 times. How did you not hear me? Well, he's not lying to you. And you know that you said it. So what happened? 
Well, what happened was your child was in their downstairs survival brain when you said it that 10 times and their brain decided that they didn't need that information for survival. So they discarded it and they literally did not hear you. And so once we can understand that as parents and go, oh, that meant your brain was offline. You're not actually being disrespectful and hateful and ignoring me. Your brain is broken. Well, that changes my perspective a lot because that affects my ability to stay present. If I view my child of, oh, well, the reason that you're lying to me and stealing from me is because you're in survival brain and I feel completely manipulated by you. Instead of taking that personally, I can go, oh, your brain is broken. Let me help you get back into your upstairs brain where I can know the real you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, it gives me a parental compassion versus, you know, and if I know that, oh, you didn't hear me. Okay. Now I can have some parental compassion to go, oh, your brain is broken. Let me help you get into your upstairs brain so that you can hear me and be present with me because I know that my kids want to stay present with me and they're not going to be that um most of the time not that oppositional there's there's a place you may see that you know oppositional defiant behavior but if you're seeing that it, you need to be in a counseling office so as we're talking about this then we can understand that child who does repeatedly say oh i didn't hear you or i didn't hear that that rather than the trigger being even like a one-time event and they just are popping off that this kid might actually be walking around consistently triggered that they're consistently operating out of that out of that downstairs brain and that this is happening more chronically is that right yes uh-huh so as we're talking about that parental compassion and therapeutic parenting and that sort of thing can you talk to us about what the components of parenting in that way look like and maybe some techniques that we might be able to start looking into Absolutely. So when um, when we're talking about therapeutic parenting, what um, what we're talking about is trust based relational intervention. It is a therapeutic parenting program that was developed by Karen Purvis out of the Texas Christian uh, Texas Christian University's Child Development Center. When we look at that model, um, there are basically three engagements that we're going to start with. Um, The first one is a playful engagement. So I'm going to try and get that immediate do-over by doing something playful like, whoopsies, try that again with some respect, please. Or, "Uh uh-oh, let's let's do that again. Um, So we're going to try to to do this playful engagement that immediately gets that do-over. Now, if your child's really stuck in their downstairs brain, they can't do that. And so you'll get some kind of snotty reactive remark after that, and they won't be able to do that. So then the second level is a structured engagement. And this is when we generally provide two choices. Oh, buddy, um, you have two choices right now. You can choose to pick up your uh, toys by yourself, or you can ask me to help you. What do you choose? Now, it's important to notice that both, I don't care which one they choose, okay? So both are good options by me. This is not a, hey, you have a choice, buddy. You can pick up your your toys or you can go spend 10 minutes in your room. What do you choose? Now, we're not doing a reward and punishment system like we would in traditional parenting. Both options in the structured engagement need to be doable options. Hey, bud, you have a choice. You can wear the red shirt or the green shirt. What do you choose? 
Okay. You're wearing a shirt, but it's just which one, which one, right? Yeah. Now, if they're really stuck in the downstairs brain, they're going to roll right through that. No, I'm not wearing a shirt and you can't make me. And they're like, Oh buddy, your brain is really, really stuck right now. And so then we go into our third uh, level of engagement, which automatically is a calming engagement. And that calming engagement is where we're now going to sit and be present with our kids, bring in that sensory processing. We're going to get on their level, calm our voice down and be present with them to try to connect with them and say, oh, buddy, okay, let's let's get safe because right now your brain's not online. Right. Um, So we're going to we're going to this is where we might start offering them like, would you like a cookie? Um, We're going to try to to use sensory processing to help the brain get safe. And then um, that fourth level, if if the calming engagement is not working and their brain is just so unsafe, then we, we have to keep our kids safe. So then it becomes a safety engagement of, okay, let me help you be safe. So in the instance where we're offering a cookie, this is not, as you said, it's not a reward for their behavior, more of let's have a cookie break before we continue on. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about how you might apply that though so that the difference is clear? So my parenting mind, I'm intentional. This isn't guesswork. Okay. This is a, I've done my work to evaluate that on their sensory profile, that a cookie calms them down. It's on their, um, too slow category. So if their brain is revved up and their, um, reactivity is out of control, I'm going to use their taste sensory to offer them a cookie in hopes that by tasting that cookie, it will send those um, responses to the brain and the brain will go, oh, I'm safe now. I don't have to sit here and scream and punch holes in the wall. I can, I can start to feel safe and calm. Okay, now we can start to breathe. So by giving them a cookie, it activates that response in the brain so that then I can invite them, hey, can you come sit next to me or can, can mama hold you for a bit? You know, come tell, come tell mama what happened. And we can start then to notice that the brain starts to calm down. And then I'm starting to get my child into the upstairs brain. And so I might offer them another cookie. Hey, would you like another cookie to be able then to, to keep them in the upstairs brain so that we can get to that do over because every time I get to that do-over, I'm changing the brain chemistry physically in my child's brain. I'm, I'm becoming the healer of my child's brain because they are literally creating a new neurosynapsis in the brain that physically heals the brain when I can get to that do-over. Now, I may not get there 75% of the time, but that one time that I built that new neurochemistry, okay. <laughs> We got there. So you're saying that not every time are we going to get the desired outcome, but it's worth it to to go through these steps to change that brain chemistry so that there will be instances where these things are sticking. That's right. Because as we change that neurochemistry and we provide those new neurotransmitters and new synapses, that is where we're now healing that reactive brain and safety switch so that our our children have the ability to use their words instead of their behaviors next time. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about additionally some other triggers that are very specific to single moms and our children 
things dealing with custody and maybe continued exposure to a parent who's unhealthy and those sorts of things where we're sending kids off into situations that we know are going to be triggering or we know that we may not have a partner to do therapeutic parenting with us. Can you talk about some of the issues that our kids might be experiencing in being able to receive that consistent help and maybe some strategies for how to address them? Yeah, absolutely. Custody and divorce situations are so hard because there's an ongoing grief that you live in at not being able to provide that consistent environment for your child. And so at least most of the custody situations I see is that either your child is trying to prepare to leave your household and and go to an unsafe place, or they're recovering from being in an unsafe place. And so you're starting over every time that your kid comes home. There may be only some days or some hours um, in the middle of that custody period of time where your child is identifying um, a, a adjustment to your household. So when we look at that, we need to understand as parents that first off, the recovery time for therapeutic parenting, it like triples to quadruples. So our expectations need to be very low as far as the success rate of the therapeutic parenting process, um, because every time they're triggered, we're, we're having to, in a sense, start over. However, be encouraged because the neurochemistry that is built at your house, when you do that do-over, it doesn't go away. Okay. So the trauma that occurs or in transitions or those types of things isn't necessarily going to break their brains any worse than the, the uh, traumatic event already has, but the neurochemistry that you're building will start to um, be enough to heal your child's brain. So it's worth doing, but just realize that it is going to take a longer period of time. So do you find that it's helpful for us to have rituals then, for example, when our children do return and those sorts of things that if they are walking into our house, experiencing some level of difficulty or stress or triggers or whatever, so that even as they're coming home, we're receiving them and trying to influence that brain chemistry as they're coming back into our space rather than waiting for them to have an emotional moment. Oh, yeah. So a lot of times, you know, we forget about the transition for our kids because we're so busy in living life. Like, okay, I'm going to pick you up from dad's and we're going to go grocery shopping or we're going to go off to ballet class or, you know, we just jump right back into life. But if there is a way for you to have a specific um, transition period for your kids where they can go and say goodbye to your house and get, you know, ready to say hello to, to dad's house and then give them a period of time. And, and this is where you invite them into the process of saying, what do you feel like you need when, before you leave my house, like, do you need any time to be able to yourself to be able to, you know, pack some things up or be able to, um, just to have a moment. And then what do you need when you first come back? So I had, uh, I just had a, a family, um, we had this discussion because as soon as they got back into the house, the kids run immediately to the PlayStation, they start playing da, 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 and then there's all kinds of chaos and all kinds of fights. And when we could stop and pause and say, okay, I want you guys to go up, 
want you to kind of take a shower, rinse off whatever happened at dad's house, have a place to put that if if you need to um, color it out. Um, by the way, um, coloring pictures for kids is like journaling for adults. So if you can have them just, you know, hey, do you need to go up and, and color a picture of what happened at dad's house and then be able to cover, color a picture of what you want to see at my house? Okay, do that. And then, you know, come down and let, then you can play video games, you know? So if there's a transition period to where they know, okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to take a deep breath at mom's house and then we can jump into life. I love those ideas. I think oftentimes we sort of just get stuck into the routine of things and okay, you're home, go to bed or, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. And there's not enough of a recognition of the fact that they're experiencing these transitions on a regular basis. And if we spend a little bit of time on making those transitions smoother and by helping their brains either to slow down or speed up, depending on what kind of mood they come back in, that that may influence then our experiences with them while they're home with us. Can you help us to also understand how our own attitudes as parents and our own reactivity can threaten our child's safety, how we can manage that, especially in situations where obviously we may be dealing with an ex who is who's causing us some reactivity or a situation that we have to be mindful of our own responses about? Yes, absolutely. And this is such an important part, you know, because when we start to have awareness, then we can start to have influence. Um, But as parents, we're human. You are allowed to be human. And when your brain gets triggered, the faster that you can be aware of it, the more successful you're going to be at, at being able to have um, order in your household. Because if you're reactive, that's going to trigger your kids to be reactive. And then they're going to trigger you to be reactive. And there's going to be chaos in your household until somebody gains awareness and calms down. Okay. So the faster that we can be aware of, oh, I'm triggered. Um, it looks like my children are triggered. All right, we're going to have a, a household timeout. Everybody go to their safe safe place. You know, um, in our household, we call them bird's nests, which we'll, we can talk about in a minute. But um, the the way to be able to be aware of your own brain as a parent to get your sensory preferences is a huge component. And oftentimes with parents, we don't take enough time to help ourselves feel safe and secure. And yet we're trying to help our children feel safe and secure. So, you know, the more that you can notice it and the more that you can help stabilize your brain will then help your children. I'm going to take a quick break here to mention a new resource at agapemoms.com called The Seven Loneliness Traps. As moms, we often don't necessarily parent the way that we want to because we're dealing with our own stuff. We're dealing with our own trauma and healing and oftentimes feelings of loneliness. The Seven Loneliness Traps is a free guide where you're able to identify seven common problems that keep you feeling lonely and maybe kind of reactive yourself and offer some insights on how to get out of those traps. You can download your free guide today by going to agapemoms.com slash free. So talk to us about the bird's nest because I identify completely with what you're saying as far as it is a household timeout because I know that I am being reactive. And even if my kids are not necessarily doing anything that's 
naughty (laughs) that I just, whatever my life circumstances are, whatever I'm dealing with, it's causing me to be, it's causing me to mother them in a way that I don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where I, um, I learned this from, from Karen Purvis. She talks a lot about birds and bird's nests and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll take kids outside and we go hunting for a bird's nest. And I ask them, well, who makes the bird's nest? Why, why do birds make nests? And they answer, well, to keep the eggs safe. You're right. And so is it the baby bird's job to make the nest? No, it's the mommy and daddy bird's job to make the nest. And they make the nest. Why? Because they need to have a place to lay their eggs and keep their babies safe. And, and so I'll ask them, well, what happens if a baby bird um, leaves the nest before it's strong enough and old enough to survive? What happens? Oh, then it's at risk for getting hurt or a predator might come along and eat it and it might die. You're right. And so it's really important that the mommy and daddy birds make the nest strong enough to keep the baby birds in. But it's also important that the baby birds don't leave the nest until they're old enough and strong enough to be able to survive on their own, right? So if we look at our household, in our household, who is the mommy and daddy birds? Well, you are, mom. You're right. What does that mean that my job is? Well, that means that your job is to keep us safe and feed us and keep us in the nest. You betcha. And who are the baby birds in our household? And there's usually some giggles. Well, that's silly. That's us. And and you're right. Anybody under the age of 18 in our household qualifies as a baby bird. And what does that mean that your job is? Be safe. Now I have new language with my kiddo. So now when I go and my child is doing something that is unsafe or disrespectful, I can be like, whoa, 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 buddy, you're not being safe right now. What's my job? My job's to keep you safe. What's your job to be safe? Are you able to be safe by yourself or do you need mama to help you? So as we then start to have this new language in the household, now if I'm not feeling safe as a parent, now I have new language with my children to say, oh, stop. We're not being safe. Mama's having a hard time being safe and we need to get safe. So everybody go to their sensory nest. And what I have parents do is make that sensory nest. So have every person in your household identify. um, So we we talked about those sensory preferences, right? Mm -hmm. So now we're going to make a nest. We're going to physically find our spot and um, that we can go to when we want to feel better. And this is a spot where I'm going to put either my favorite blanket, my favorite pillow, or be in my favorite rocking chair, um, wherever that is. And then I'm going to put together a little backpack or a little basket full of all of my sensory preferences for each one of my seven senses. So in there, I might have um, some cookies that I can that your child has permission to have whenever they feel unsafe, they can go and be in their safe place and monitor their safety themselves. So I fill that usually twice a day and they have access to it whenever they want it. Um, I might have some scented lotions in there. I might have a cuddly stuffed animal in there. Um, I might have a weighted blanket item in there. I might have a personal cooling fan in there. Um, I might have sunglasses or um, earphones and their favorite music. 
So we have everybody create this nest that they love to sit in because it meets all of their sensory needs and it feels good. So when there's chaos in our house, this is not a timeout spot and don't use it as a timeout spot. You should never be sending your child there in punishment um, because it ruins the, the safety of that. But to be able to offer and say, okay, we're doing, we're doing a, a household um, break. And so everybody go and find their safe place spots until they can feel calm and then come back out. Now, it's a fine line between doing a household um, safety um, response versus a household timeout that feels like a punishment. And that's kind of where parents have to learn the art of how to use this in a positive way instead of the negative way. But ultimately, you know, even mom can say, oh, you know what? Mom's having trouble being safe right now. So mom's going to go to her uh, nest for five minutes and she'll be right back. Are you guys able to stay safe while she does that? Okay, great. So we're going to, you know, encourage mom to be able to find the space to do that. I love this idea because it's that idea of a reset so that you can be in the middle of something. You can you can be, even if you're just reacting, you can just stop and say, I need a reset. I'm going to take five minutes. And I, I feel like I have started doing this with my kids, but I love the idea of what you're saying as far as having a nest that's a specifically designated spot where you can treat those senses to get you into a calmer mode, even as a parent, that yeah. you have the ability to come back fresh to the situation and handle it in a way that's more honoring of the, your children and your relationship and that sort of thing. I think for myself, I've noticed, and I'd like for us to in the future expand on this as far as an adult episode for yes, re- adult reactive responses, especially as it comes to not just relating to our kids, but other adults and relationships and that kind of thing. Oh, because yeah. I've noticed where for myself, being able to have quiet time, prayer time, journaling time, listening to music time, you know, those sorts of things that it, it's one thing I think a lot of single moms don't do is spend energy on themselves to keep themselves healthy and balanced and in a right frame of mind. And when we end up just burning the candle at both ends, that that's where we get into those patterns of feeling like, I'm just not the mom that I want to be. This is not the situation that I wanted for my kids. This is not fair, but that there is something we can do about it if we're willing to be not only a little proactive, but also a little bit more aware when we're into that reactive state that we just shift gears and give ourselves a little bit of a do-over. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Michelle, self-care for me is one of the big platforms that I stand on because we so much think about, oh, well, I need self-care time to be an actual period of time where I go and do something like, oh, I'm going to go get my nails done or I'm going to take a nap, you know, for self-care. But if we can reframe that into saying, Sometimes self-care means I'm stopping for one minute and doing something that meets one of my seven sensory preferences. So like, for instance, if every time I go into the bathroom, I put some lotion on and I intentionally pause for two seconds and take five deep breaths and just allow that um, scent to permeate and cause my body to go, oh, just for that minute that can be self-care. And if you do that once an hour, 
So like, let's say that every time that you get in the car, you pop in a piece of gum and your favorite song that makes your whole body go, because by the way, chewing gum activates the strongest, um, one of the strongest muscles in your body, the jaw muscle, and it can calm your brain down just simply by chewing gum. So if you find that you're stressed out and you're able to chew gum, pop in a piece of gum or offer your child a piece of gum and it can do therapy without you even having to use words um, in some of those things. But if we can incorporate that into a 30 second to a minute and a half once an hour so that I'm going through my seven senses several times a day, then you will find that at the end of a week of doing that, your body will start feeling more relaxed. That is fascinating. That seems so simple. <laughs> I think sometimes we overcomplicate these things and I really right. like that that's a very easy. <laughs> but it takes intentionality. Like I have to know yes. what senses make my body relax or I need to know what that perfect cup of coffee that makes my whole body go, oh, right? I just think it's fascinating because it sort of feels like you're tricking your brain into, <laughs> into like I feel like so many times I spend all this time and energy trying to think differently and it's like if you're not in your right space of brain, you can think all you want, but if you can get yourself calmed down from a sensory perspective that you might yeah. actually be more productive. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I thought, you know, remember anxiety is a downstairs brain environment. That's freeze mode, right? Mm -hmm. So when that hamster wheel's going, 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 we need to press the pause button and go, whoop, wait a second. Let me get into reality. Bring my sensories into what is present for right now. Christina, can you talk to us about maybe some resources that if this is sort of the tip of the iceberg, I know there's so much and definitely there's times and spaces where getting with a certified counselor for some of these issues is necessary. But for a mom who is just diving into this and wants to gain some more understanding about some of the things that we've been addressing, what are some of your favorite resources that we can dig into? Yeah, absolutely. So I would absolutely encourage parents to read um, The Connected Child, which is by Karen Purvis. And they just came out with a new one called The Connected Parent, which is fabulous. So if you have to make a choice between one or the other, I would choose The Connected Parent um, because I think it just does such a good job of, of presenting it well. Um and then I also would really encourage if you find that as an adult that you're just reactive and you're still traumatized from the divorce or just you're not you're struggling. Tim Sanford wrote a book called Inside that really will walk you through how to heal your brain yourself as an adult. So that would be the resource I'd encourage parents to read as they're trying to understand their own reactive brain and how to heal that as an adult. And then if I had to give one therapeutic activity to your family that I think would be the most um, therapeutically healing for your family, I would encourage you to play emotional charades. And I think, Michelle, I, I gave you the four questions that I include after we've guessed the emotion, because we want people to be able to use their words. And our society has gotten away from that. So if we can teach our kids, hey, this is what this emotion feels like in my body, what it feels like on my face, how I can communicate it with words, and then what to do when I feel it, then I can actually start to negotiate and get my needs met enough as an adult to be a healthy adult. And we will definitely have that handout available in the show notes. I think that I think that's fun that you can have just a simple game of modeling emotions to help 
kids so that when they are having those difficult moments that they have words to then come back to us with to describe what they're feeling. I even see with many adults that, and myself included, there's a disconnect between I have a feeling going on inside my body and I don't know what it is. And once That's right. you do know what it is, then you can start to unravel well, what's causing it? And that's right. Because remember, if you ask yourself that question of why do I feel this way? And you get an, I don't know why I feel this way. And I'm confused. What part of the brain are you in? You're in the downstairs brain. Mm -hmm. So we have to pull ourselves into the upstairs brain to be able to answer that question. Why do, oh, this is why I feel this way. Okay. Now I can process it. Gosh, this is so fascinating, Christina. I'm so thankful that you've been able to unravel all these things. I feel like I understand not only my kids, but myself so much better in the process of this. Can you talk about maybe one last thing, one one parting idea that you think every single mom should know? I would like each mom who's listening to this to know that you are enough. Single moms fight hard for their kids. And that's good. But at the end of the day, every child is going to need therapy for something. So as a parent, this isn't about being a perfect parent. It's not about preventing all the hardships that come in life. And a lot, especially if you're in a custody situation, a lot's outside of your control. But if you can remember that your job as a mom is to nurture. Dad's job is to validate, but your job is to nurture your child enough to keep them as safe as you are able to. And as you do that, you will minimize the damage and you can keep them as safe as you can so that when they become adults, they can choose to be healthy people. Now, sometimes they may choose not to. And just like Adam and Eve, they they made a bad choice, right? But that didn't reflect on God's parenting. God was still a good parent in the midst of that. Even when they're his children got seduced by the devil himself. And in the middle of enforcing those consequences, God still chose relationship with Adam and Eve. And he set those boundaries. So I want to encourage you that just choose relationship on whatever level that you can with your kids. Keep them as safe as you can, minimize as much of the damage as you can. But at the end of the day, know that you are enough and you are a good parent. And so surround yourself with people who can encourage you in that. Christina helped me to realize how much of my own parenting comes from understanding just where my kids are coming from, but also where I'm dealing with things and where I'm coming from. And that it's okay for me, not only okay, it's essential for me to spend time cultivating my own mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health so that I can be a better mom to my kids. So I really hope that you'll feel a little empowered today that you've got some more tools in your toolbox when it comes to being a better mom and feeling like you've got a better handle on the situation. I'll have a link to the resources that Christina mentioned in the show notes and on the episode page on agapemoms.com for episode 31. While you're there, if you have some questions or some feedback, I'd love to hear from you and you can go on to the contact form there. You can also connect with Agape Moms over on Facebook and Instagram at Agape Moms. We actually have a Pinterest page too. I'm so glad you were able to join in today and I'm really looking forward to having you with me next time.